Okay, we're in chapter 4, and uh, we're going to discuss the sixth category to which bitachon applies, which is reward for mitzvot. Okay, and he's going to talk about the reward that's given in this world, and reward that's given in olam haba. Okay, and then he's going to explain to us the mystery of why olam haba is not spoken about in the Torah. Right, the Torah doesn't talk about olam haba. And then after all this, he's going to tell us, uh, he's going to speak to us about uh, bitachon and how it actually is intertwined uh, with this concept. We're going to talk about the sixth category now of bitachon. And this is the category regarding rewards that one receives from its vote in this world and in the next world. Which a person becomes worthy of by virtue of the good deeds that he does in this world, right? What we do in this world results in reward both here and in the next world. And the first point of introduction is that there's two kinds of rewards for a person's mitzvot. The reward that's given specifically in this world. And the reward that's given specifically in the next world. And some mitzvot. Right, earn only one of these types of reward, but there are instances where both of them, reward in this world and in the next world, are earned through one mitzvah, through one act. Okay? And Havot is gonna note now that while the Torah reveals that we'll be rewarded for the mitzvot, it doesn't talk about the specific reward for each mitzvah, right? In this world or the next world. So he's gonna he's gonna talk about first this world. Velo Porash. The details of this matter, right, of reward for good deeds uh, in this world has not been spelled out for us. Rather, Hashem promises us in the Torah, collectively, that there's a reward for the collective performance of mitzvot. Right, so for example, in the beginning of Parashat Bechukotai, we know that the Torah says that if the Jewish people observe the Torah, Hashem will bring rain at the right time, the earth will produce a bountiful crop, will we'll live Israel, will live securely in the land, and so forth. Also, if you look at the Shema, right? Where the Shema talks about the, uh, the physical collective rewards that one receives, or that I should say the, 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 the collective receives through, co- through collectively keeping keeping the mitzvot. But he did not specify what reward is given in this world for the individual performance of each of the mitzvot. Right? For each person, each individual. The way he did when it comes to the punishments that are given out for sins. Like we learn, right? The different capital punishments. It's stoning, burning, Killed or choking, or forty lashes, right? Or in the case of God forbid, uh, death at the hand of uh, heaven, or karet, which we know is uh, is God forbid premature death, or sometimes they say it's if the children dies before the parents. But the point is, the the Torah is very specific when it comes to specific sins and what the punishment is. But he's saying when it comes to mitzvot, it's generally more about the collective. Uh, and he continues on where he talks about other types of punishment. In a case where, let's say, someone steals something, we know they have to pay a double payment. In some situations, they have to pay four or five times the value of the stolen item. 
um, right? Or there's different types of damages that might happen with, with a person's ox or if an animal gets hurt in a pit or if somebody uh, gets injured or, or if a fire burns, uh, burns someone's property. Or if you injure someone else, or if you embarrass another person. So he's talking about all these different situations where the punishment is specified in the Torah. Or if you slander, God forbid, or similar sinful acts, right? So in each case of these sins, the Torah specifies the precise form of punishment, right? Or monetary penalty that the sinner would incur. But with mitzvot, like we said, the Torah doesn't really tell us how an individual is rewarded for any particular mitzvah that he performs. Now you might say, what do you mean? We know some gives you long life, some gives, but those were the sages. Those are really the chachamim uh, that, were, that were bringing that about. We're talking about more the Torah explicitly doesn't say how each mitzvah uh, brings reward. But the Torah does tell us as a nation, as a whole, the various blessings that would come when we uh, abide by the Torah. And Chavot Olavot notes, right, that the Torah does not spell out the specific reward for any individual mitzvah, but it doesn't really explain why. Um, but Pirkei Avot actually talks about it, right, where it says, be as careful with performing a minor mitzvah as performing a major one, right? If you do not know the reward given for the respective mitzvot. And Pirkei Avot, what it's saying is, since Hashem did not tell us the reward that's granted for each mitzvah, we can't technically know which is more important, so we have to be scrupulous with all of them. And Rashi gives a nice parable that, that's from, from a Midrash where you have a king that let's say has an orchard, right? With beautiful trees. Some are rare, some are very unique trees and some are common. And he hired workers to take care of the trees and he planned to himself to give extra money to the people who cared for the more valuable trees. Now, the king didn't tell the people in advance of the different payment tiers, right? He he didn't tell them which trees you get paid extra because he knew if he did, they'd all fight. They'd all focus on the on the more profitable trees. The rest of the orchard would be neglected. So he the king wants every tree to be taken care of. So he wasn't going to tell them which trees uh, will, will get them more money. He just kept that to himself. So similarly, Hashem didn't reveal to us the specific rewards for each of them as well because if Hashem did so, Maybe people would just gravitate towards those, right? Towards the ones with the greater reward. And God forbid, a lot of the other mitzvot would be abandoned. And, and, and to the negative of us, we would lose out, right? We'd miss out because to get perfection and to grow and to be who we're meant to be, we need to perform all the mitzvot. So it's actually to our benefit that we don't know which are the better mitzvot and which are not. It's our benefit because we, we, we're going to ultimately try to do all of them because we need to ultimately receive from, from all of them. So that's... So that's talking about Olam Hazeh. That's where he's talking about Olam Hazeh. But if you're talking about Olam Haba, the Anshu and, and the punishment, the benefit and the punishment that'll come in Olam Haba when it comes to the Torah. Moshe, the great, they call, they call him the great Navi, the great prophet. Moshe did not describe them in his book, in the Torah. And it's not spoken about in any of the Nevi'im either, in any of the, of the other books. Um, and again, it, it's, it's more that it wasn't explicitly explained. Did rabbis later on maybe allude to it and talk about it? Yes, but, but, but it wasn't explicitly spoken about Olam Kama Panim, And there's a few reasons why. And what he's going to do now, which is fascinating, is he's going to give us seven reasons why the Torah does not talk about Olam Because it's a concept that we, we wonder about. And sometimes we ask, oh, is it in the Torah? And again, there's allusions. The rabbis interpret certain things. 
But it's not explicit. It's not explicit. So now he's going to give us seven reasons why. Mehem. First reason. We can't conceive what the soul is without a body, right? It's very hard for us to really understand what the soul is. Yeah, we could try to describe it, we could try to give it attributes, but we can't really understand what a soul is. So even more so, are we unable to conceive and understand what the soul is gonna feel in heaven? Like, what does it mean, pleasure, when they say the soul's gonna have pleasure in heaven? Or the soul is going to be in pain in heaven. How can a person really understand what pleasure and pain is in this bodiless existence? That's that's Olam Abba, right? And Rambam, Rambam gives a beautiful analogy. He says a, a blind person can't comprehend color, right? A deaf person cannot comprehend music. So it's the same idea that someone living in this physical world will just never be able to understand the delight of the spiritual world. It's it's we're so used to senses physically that anything that can't be experienced by the senses, it's too far to us. It's, it's, it's only after deep contemplation that we're going to be able to conceive that reward. So because of that, because of that fact, he's saying it's pointless for the Torah to try to describe the reward or punishment of Allah because we're not going to be able to even comprehend it to, to begin with. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Now, he does say there is an exception. There is an exception in one of the Nevi'im where it's described, and he's going to explain why there's an exception there. Hashem did once briefly describe the reward of Olam Abba to someone who was able to understand this concept. As he said to Yeshua, Yeshua ben Yehosadak, okay, he was the Kohen Gadol at the time of the building of the second Bet HaMikdash, he was the Kohen Gadol. What is the pasuk say? So he starts off. He says, "If you're gonna go in my ways, if you if you follow my ways, right?" Hashem's talking to him. He says, "And you and you and you do what's proper. You guard my courtyards." What does he say? Then I will grant you strides among those who stand here. He's referring to the angels. So in, this is in Avi Zechariah. So so what he's telling him is he's saying. I will grant you, I will give you the ability, you will walk among the angels. He's basically hinting to him what Olam Abba is going to be like. And Hashem's obviously... Re- you there? Sorry, I just got excited. Oh, from, from what we're reading? Yeah. Yeah, so he's saying, he's saying that it's obvious that he's talking about Olam Abba here because this reward that he's describing, which is walking amongst the angels, it's not possible if your soul's attached to your body. It can't be happen. It can't, it can't happen. So, so, so they derive from this that that he was being hinted about Olam Abba. Hashem alluded that this is what's going to happen after his death, right? When his soul will leave his body. That his soul will literally take upon the character of the angels. That, that his, his, his soul, the simplicity of, of the soul's nature, right? The human body, like everything physical, is very complex, right? It's a combination of a lot of different elements. But the soul is, is very simple, it's very pure, it's refined. And when it leaves the body, when it leaves the complexity and it's able to be in its pure state, 
Keshitzetatech. It's a tough word here. Keshitzetatech v'taskil v'hayu maseh tobim ba'olam azeh. He says that it would reach the state after having been purified and made to shine and having done good deeds in the world. I mean, very simply, Hashem is telling him, listen, right, we read, if you go in my ways, if you safeguard my watch, etc., right, everything you just said, it's saying a soul's purified and shines when a person basically avoids sins, avoids the prohibitions, and focuses on the mitzvot, on lofty matters. So, so that's, that's essentially the little hint that we've gotten about Allah Mabad Navi, where since in the world to come, his soul's gonna be like the angels, he's gonna be able to walk among them. And, and the reason, by the way, Hashem gave him this inkling, this hinted, like why this, why did Yoshua get the opportunity to, to, to get a hint? It's because he was able to comprehend it. This, this Navi was on the level where it was, it was Peshat to him. He was able to understand what it means to be a soul, what it means to be disconnected from physicality. So that's the first reason. What do we say the first reason is that it doesn't describe it? Because it's very hard for the average person to understand what it really even means to have pleasure and pain as a soul and therefore what's the point? So, so Cub just made an unbelievable point. He said that if a person refines their five senses, they should be able to get as close as possible to that understanding of Allah Mabba. And why is that a great point? Because Shara Bitachon, Chavot Alavot's main argument is that we're so used to a sensorial existence. We're so used to a, a, a existence of senses, of, of feeling things, that if we can limit or at least purify those senses, we are now transcending the sensorial existence that we live in. And maybe we could get a little taste of Allah Mabba. That's a great point, Cub. Great point. Number two, Mehem, another reason. He's saying another reason we don't talk about Allah Mabba is because the concept of reward and punishment in Nebi'im. It was accepted. The, the common folks and the Nebi'im already accepted it. See, Avraham Avinu, who, was, who let himself be thrown in the fire, right, by, by Nimrod, let's say, or Yitzchak, who was open to being sacrificed to Akedah. These, these giants, Abraham and Yitzchak at the time, they didn't have children to leave in the world, meaning in the case of Akedah Yitzchak, let's say, that would have been, the God forbid, the break of the Jewish people, and Abraham at the time with Nimrod. So they were confident that they would live on in Alam Haba. They, they knew there was afterlife. That's why they were able to have such strength and, strength and courage. Of course, it was also emunah peshita. They had straight emunah, regardless of whether it's afterlife or not. They're doing it for Hashem. But the point is, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, they passed down the concept of Lamaba. So it was accepted at the time. So there was no reason for it to be put in the Torah, right? He says, Umusekal etzel hachamim. It was already logical to learned people. So... It was commonly accepted by the fact that Abraham Yitzhak and Yaakov knew it and passed it down. And on top of it, learned people, people with, with, with logic, knew it had to be, right? So Mesilai Shadim in chapter one, for example, writes, no intelligent person can think that man was created for the sake of his existence in this world. Because what's the value of this existence, right? He writes, Mesilai Shadim, he says, is anyone genuinely happy and tranquil in this world? Let's say we live 70 or 80 years. There's pain, there's aches, there's sicknesses, there's problems. And at the end of all that, what happens? We die. So, so if, if, if that's the case, it can't be that there's no afterlife. Because what is this life really worth? Of course, there's, there's, there's some pleasure, there's a little bit of growth. But ultimately, it's, it's challenging. 
And on top of that, if the ultimate purpose of life is this world, then why do we have a soul? Meaning, why will we be given a soul that's spiritually greater than even the angels? And, and a soul that doesn't get satisfaction from physicality. Our soul doesn't get satisfaction from the pleasures of this world. So the logic is that there must be an Olam Abba. The ultimate destination where we will be rewarded for the good deeds, where the soul will finally thrive, has to be after this life. Therefore, Moshe knew, and the other prophets knew, we didn't have to put it in the book. It didn't have to be put in the Torah. The concept of reward in the afterlife was already accepted by everyone as a fact. So Moshe didn't need to mention it in the Torah. And the prophets, the other Nevi'im, didn't have to. The same way, they, they didn't mention the different details of the mitzvot that, uh, that, that bind us. I'm saying the Torah and the, 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 the five books of Moshe and the Nevi'im didn't get into certain details. Because there was an oral tradition, right? There was the Torah Shabbat Al-Peh. So they're saying the same way, not every detail mitzvah Allah has in the Torah because it was passed down orally. So the concept of the Lama is very similar. So that's, that's reason number two, is that it was sort of accepted. Good? Umehem, third reason. Third reason why Allah Mabah is not mentioned in the Torah. So at the time that the Torah was given, and the Jewish people, you know, they were centuries under the, the Tum'ah, the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian bondage, the people were a little more simpler, right? They had a little bit more of a small-mindedness. They had a little bit more of a poor understanding, right? They weren't on a level to understand high spirituality and the objectives of it. And it's obvious from what was written in the Torah, right? Because the Torah describes them as complaining with the Moshe, fighting with Moshe, and the, the, the Mefarshim sort of explain how these sins of the Midbar, where they were complaining and fighting, was sort of petty. And, 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 and it's really, what is hinting, it's really because of their status, their spiritual status, their inability they didn't have the ability to fully appreciate the the depths of spirituality and olam haba and and that the comforts of this world, food and water and all this stuff, is secondary. It didn't really matter, right? They weren't they weren't on that deep level to understand how pain was good, right? How 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 the struggle was good for them. So Hashem treated them. The way a compassionate father would treat a young son that he wants a discipline. With gentleness and, and with patience. As it's written in Hosea, for Israel was a lattice, I showed him love. Meaning, because the Jewish people were, were, were immature spiritually, right? They, they, they lacked maturity. They lacked understanding of their spiritual potential. Hashem had to shower them with love and treat their shortcomings forgivingly and with understanding. Now, now you might think, what does that mean? What does that have to do with Allah Mabad? Is it? So he's going to explain. He's going to understand. He's going to explain why their spiritual immaturity was handled in a very unique way to match that spiritual immaturity, and how it's tied into why the Torah can't talk about Allah Mabad. Let's say you have a father who wants to teach his son in his childhood. He wants to teach his son moral instruction, right? Which is basically like discipline, where his son can then reach great heights in the future, right? A father knows, I have to discipline my son, it's gonna make, give him a better future. 
That, let's say the father wants to do that, but the child at that time can't really comprehend and appreciate those future benefits. Right? You talk to a little six-year-old kid. He, he got, the kid can't understand the benefits that his father is really trying to impart to him about raising a family one day and having the right character and the right, let's say, disciplines. If the father tries to encourage him to devote himself to mastering the instructions by saying, if, 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 if his father tells him, uh, tolerate the difficulties of my discipline and the difficulties and challenges of my instruction because through them one day you will rise to, to great heights. The son's not going to be able to tolerate it. The, kid, the kid's not going to be able to handle it. If his dad says, just trust me, I know it's painful, I know it's suffering, but it's building you grit and it's going to be good for you and it's, the, kid, the kid can't handle it. The Lord Shomei I love and he's not going to listen. He's not going to listen to his father. Because he doesn't understand it. The kid's not going to be able to understand the future benefit that his father's telling him. But if the father instead promises to reward his son for this effort with something that he could enjoy right away, I'll give you cookies, I'll get you toys, I'll take you someday to the movies. You know, if the father speaks the son's language at his maturity, at his level, right? He's talking about food or good drinks. He'll give him nice clothing. He'll take nice transportation. Any immediate benefit. And on the other hand, God forbid, if the kid's no good, the father threatens him with with immediate consequences, right? You go to your room, you can't go out next week, you, you won't be able to see your friends, you won't be able to have dessert, right? Merab, like leaving him hungry, in the case he can't get dessert. Ve'or om, or he's not insufficiently clothed, he can't get what he wants. Makut, or he hits him, right? Ve'hadomelah, any type of punishment. Ve'ashib da'ato amashitah alav, and he encourages his child to, 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 to accept it. Mirare'ayut from the tangible and obvious and clear things about why it's good for him to listen and bad for him not to listen, right? Like we said, he could even say, look at this, look at, look at your brother who's doing it, your brother got a present because he did so good in school, or your brother got dessert because he ate his dinner, right? Then the child's going to be able to understand what his father's telling him. He's going to be able to endure the difficulty. He's going to be able to handle the discipline. He's going to bear the effort. And he's going to be good. When his sechel, when his intellect becomes more developed, when he becomes more mature, then he can understand one day the true purpose of what his father was trying to, to tell him. He's going to be able to handle the real inherent value of the discipline that was put on him. And then he'll apply it one day with the right kavana. And at that stage, the pleasant uh, treats and the different things that he was chasing at the beginning will become less important in his eyes, right? Because he's going to move on and mature from the petty, uh, the petty reward. He's going to want the deeper stuff, right? It's like a kid who goes to shul for the candy or the prizes or the tickets or the raffles and all that stuff. Eventually, why do they allow it? Why do the rabbis endorse it and encourage it? Give them candy, give them toys. Because eventually the kid's going to get mature. 
He's going to see the benefits of shul and Torah and closeness of community in a, in a more serious, real way. And uh, he'll then do it for the right reasons. Then, and, 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 and you'll realize from this example that the father's approach, although it might seem strict because he's threatening, it was compassionate to the son because he enabled his son to gradually acquire the discipline he needed and the right attitude to get there. So, so even though you might say, oh, that father's so mean, he's telling his kid he can't have dessert. He's telling his kid he can't uh, be with his friends. How's he? The kid wants dessert. The kid, it's actually compassion because the father is speaking in a language that the kid could understand that will ultimately benefit him. So how does that apply to us? Look at the genius of Chovot Levavot. That's what Hashem had to do with Bnei Israel in the desert. The same way Hashem had, to, Hashem had to do that with us. Hashem had to act towards the Jewish people this way. By, by Hashem focusing on the consequences in the Torah, in this world for people's actions, right? Hashem encouraged us in the Torah Bnei Israel with the promise of immediate reward or, or, or frightened them with, with immediate punishment. That got them to keep the Torah at their immature spiritual level. Because he knew that once the people became accustomed to keeping the Torah and the service, eventually the small-mindedness, this lack of understanding of regarding reward and punishment that's spiritual, that's in the world to come, eventually that would go away, all the superficial stuff. And then they could direct their intentions to Hashem toward that spiritual word of Olam Haba. And they'll conduct themselves in that way of wanting to get closer to Him. Unbelievable. So he's basically saying, and by the way, that's why, what do the rabbis say? You start with fear of Hashem, fear of heaven, and eventually you get to, 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 to the love of Hashem, right? There's, 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 there's Yirat Hashem and there's Ahavat Hashem. The point is, when you're not spiritually mature, you have to be incentivized by what your brain can handle. I, I know I like physical pleasure and I don't like physical pain. So the Torah is saying, well, guess what? Follow the Torah, you'll get physical pleasure. Don't follow the Torah, you'll get physical pain. It's very elementary. But why the Torah do that? The Jewish people weren't yet on the level to think, oh, the soul, the levels. The thing. It's, it's, it's too above them. So, so... So, so that's, that's the lesson. And, and, and by the way, while Chavot Lavot is focusing on the state of the Jewish people when they left Egypt, as his analogy, it really applies to all of us. It applies to every person that's starting on the path of serving Hashem, right? Most people at the early stages of spiritual development, we can really only appreciate and desire the tangible rewards of this world. That gives us the incentive to cling to the Torah, riches, health, long life. But as a person matures spiritually, and they start to appreciate, the person appreciates the spiritual reward in Allah Mabba. And, and we climb to different levels from that motivation of wanting to get close to Hashem and bask in the, in the, in the shining light of Hashem in Allah Mabba. That's when uh, ultimately we, we get to where, uh, where we're supposed to be. And, and he says that there's, there's precedent in another context for this type of a concept, right? Where, where, where the Torah has to bring a concept down for the sake of the simple-mindedness of the people. And again, not negative. We're just saying it's, it's spiritual maturity is, 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 is difficult to obtain. So the Torah has to come down so any common person can, 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 can grasp it. So what's the example he gives? 
שבספרים מהגשמת הבורא יתברך. He says, beautiful, he says, it's the same concept when the Torah personifies Hashem. Right? So uh, the Torah always says the hands of Hashem, the eyes of Hashem, the ears of Hashem. Right? Hashem gets angry, he gets sad, he gets happy. So Hashem's not physical, right? We know Hashem's not physical. We can't, Hashem is, you can't describe Hashem that way. But the Torah does this, right, to describe Hashem's existence and actions in a way that simple human beings can understand. You know, it would be difficult for us to, to, to in our immature state, to fear or love a God whose essence is beyond human comprehension, right? Like, like we need to be able to grasp Hashem to love Him and to fear Him. So, so that's why the Torah says things like Hashem sees, Hashem descends. It, we don't have the capacity to comprehend His true essence and there's no real vocabulary to capture it. So this simplistic awareness of His existence, of Hashem's existence through this personification allows us to conceptualize Hashem which also makes it easier to serve him. Now, eventually, the awareness should mature, right? Where we come to realize, and so we realize that Hashem's infinite, he's perfect, he's not, it's not even a he, Hashem is it, technically. Hashem is, uh, you know, there's, there's, Hashem is beyond metaphors, you know? So Hashem, again, in the Torah, tried to keep it simple um, when it comes to that concept, and he did the same thing when it comes to reward and punishment. Beautiful, so that's the third reason Magnificent uh, Musar on, on, on why it doesn't talk about Alam because we, 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 our brains uh, are, were not in the times of B'nai Israel and technically today are not capable of, of comprehending it. Now, of course, we have Kabbalah, we have, meaning the Torah, the oral tradition, the Torah, the rabbis it's, it has have expanded it, where now we do have books on Alam but we're talking about the five books of Moshe and the Nevi'im. Okay, beautiful. That's the third. Fourth reason, Mahem, another reason. At the end of the day, a person can't really earn Olam Haba. A person, a person doesn't really deserve the reward of Olam Haba, right? Because of, because of what he does. It's really two things that come from Hashem that would get the olam haba to be earned. Achad when, when it comes to doing good things. Echad, the first, right? The first way a person can actually become fit for a war in olam haba is It's not only by personally doing the mitzvot and, and having good deeds yourself. It's teaching other people about Hashem and how to serve Hashem. And guiding them to do good. Now, you might say, okay, but what if a person can't do that, right? Like, what if, uh, not, everyone, not all of us are running around uh, teaching people, guiding people, leading people to do mitzvot and learn about Hashem and the Torah. So he says, Chavetz uh, Chaim says you can give money, give financial support to people who do. You, you support a rabbi, you support schools, you support shuls, right? <clears throat> also, your own good deeds, right? Leading by example counts as well. So if you're leading by example, if you're publicly expressing your, your service of Hashem. You're, you're inspiring people. So he says, that helps you merit As it says, those who teach the righteous will shine. Those who teach righteousness to the multitude will shine 
like the stars forever and ever. And obviously forever and ever is talking about Olam Haba. So the Pasuk is saying in the Navi that those who teach many people, they will shine, they will shine like the stars. As it says in Mishle, for the reprovers, it shall be pleasant and a good blessing will come upon them. Meaning, good blessing, meaning Olam Haba. Right? When someone who strives to teach the ways of Hashem combines the merit of inspiring others to righteousness, basically, this person that's trying to get others to do good, he will merit uh, uh, his own righteousness. Uh, meaning, meaning, meaning the merit of that comes with inspiring others with the merit of his own, meaning his own work. Uh, he, that person, is deemed worthy by the Creator to receive reward for the world to come. And by the way, when it says his own, his own struggle, meaning, meaning his own work, it's also talking about there's a, there's the inyan of him him having the struggles of life. Right, trials and tribulations that Hashem sends him, but he does it with love and faith, right? Or if somebody insults him or bashes him, or he, he does it with love and faith. Because again, you, you're inspiring people. He's leading by example that there that there's that there's olam haba. This guy who says, you know what? I'm going to take my suffering and pain and tribulations and embarrassment and humiliation and rebuke with love because that person truly believes as olam haba. That person truly believes as olam haba. So that's the first factor to earn olam haba. Is you merge your deeds with the deeds of of of, of trying to get others to, to 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 do the same deeds. Ushni and the second. Chesed The second prerequisite that has to exist for a person is simply Hashem's kindness, Hashem's generosity, Hashem's goodness. As it says in Tehillim, yours Hashem is kindness when you repay each man according to his deeds. Meaning, at the end of the day, we don't really deserve Olam Haba. Because, because what we have is, is, is so much more valuable than what we give back. And, and the bad we do is so, is so heavy that at the end of the day, it really should be a wash. So whatever reward a person gets for his good deeds, it's not something we earn or deserve. It's something that Hashem gives us as a gift. It's a kindness from Hashem that, that, that Hashem grants us reward in, in the world to come. Now, he says something interesting here in the commentary that I want to address where we learn <clears throat> that a person can be punished in this world for all sins, except Chilul Hashem, right? The Gemara says that Chilul Hashem is so severe that no punishment in this world can cleanse, can cleanse a person for that. The, guy has, the person has to die for a Chilul Hashem, right? Um, and another version of that is also committing a sin in public that gets others to sin, right? That's, that's considered also Chilul Hashem. So, a person who causes others to sin is punished in the next world. It can't be done in this world, according to the Hilchot Teshuvah, right? So, what's interesting is the opposite is also true. Where a person is rewarded from its word in this world, the reward for Kiddush Hashem is so great that nothing in this world is enough for it. So, it has to be in the next world. Which also means influencing other people to do good is also Kiddush Hashem. And... And therefore, a person who inspires others to do good is assured that his reward is in Allah Mabah, which is amazing. So, so, so you see the parallel? They said the same thing the Gemara says, that Chilul Hashem and getting others to do bad can't be punished here because it's just so bad. It has to be in the next world. Kiddush Hashem and inspiring others is so great, it can't be here. It has to be in the next world. 
Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. And there's another, there's another point in the commentary from Rev Cutler where he says, which we're going to see soon actually, he's going to clarify that whatever mitzvah a person does, can't earn him reward because he already owes Hashem so much more than he could ever repay, right? It's similar to what we said in the earlier chapter where Hashem does so much good for us that we can't possibly repay him. It's not like our good deeds even scratch the surface. Um, and also Hashem was the one who gave us the life, right? And the, and the ability to function and, and do it. So it's almost like, obviously we have to do good because Hashem is the one who gave us the ability to even do good. Um, so, so he says that we don't technically really earn or deserve Olam Abba when it comes to our personal mitzvot. But, but if a person goes out of his way to teach other people the ways of Hashem, to teach the mitzvot and, and, good, and a good path and a good life to others, now we went beyond the basic expectation. Now we became Hashem's agent for, 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 for doing good in this world and influencing people for good. So now the reward is truly earned. This is an unbelievable concept. Meaning, what's he saying? A guy who's doing mitzvot, tefinin, tzitzit, sukkah, any mitzvah you want to think of that pertains to a personal person. He says, you don't really, why does that get you reward in Allah Mabad? You don't really deserve it. First of all, Hashem created you and created everything you have and gave you everything you have with the expectation that you will use that and use the existence that you have to serve him. Meaning otherwise, why would Hashem give you gifts? Hashem expects you to, 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 to serve him with it. So he says, you don't really deserve Allah Mabad. It's not really earned. But, but, it's not expected for you to inspire others. It's not expected of you to go above and beyond to make sure the whole world is doing great things. So that's where now it's warranted, where you actually, where you actually earn it because you're doing Hashem's work. And, 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 that, and that, that brings favor, that brings that person favor in the eyes of Hashem. So that's where the Olam Abba um, comes into play. And that's why in Bereshit, what does it say about Abraham Avinu? For I love him because he will instruct his children and his household after him to safeguard the way of Hashem. Abraham gained Hashem's love not just from his own good deeds, it's because he instructed the world on how to serve Hashem. That's a, that's a major Musa. That's a major, major thing we, we're learning here. We gotta go above and beyond. We gotta go out of our way to inspire others, to, 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 to get others to, to, to give. And, uh, and, and, and then what was the point after that that we just concluded, just to bring it back, because we're gonna go back into the text, into the Peshat. We said that although the reward from mitzvot is a special kindness from Hashem, you know, he does, he gives it to everyone and, uh, and at, least, um, at least we're guaranteed in this world by the Torah, but Allah Mabba is again, it's an extra, extra special favor. Um, because as we just read, it's who deserves Allah Mabba. It's such a great reward that who truly, who truly, uh, who truly deserves it. And, and Chavot Lavot can explain now why we can't really earn the reward, right? The underlying reason is very simple. That even if a person's good deeds were as numerous as the grains of the sand of the sea, meaning let's say someone has so many good deeds, it will still not be, will still not be enough to equal even one of the many kindnesses that Hashem does for us. Meaning, let's say you say, uh, let's say your person says, oh, I, 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 I went to shul every Shabbat. Okay, Hashem gave you eyesight. Hashem gave you legs to walk. 
I said a beracha before every food I ate. Okay, Hashem gave you a digestive system. He gave you teeth to chew. He gave you a tongue to taste. He gave you saliva to digest. He gave you a throat to swallow. He gave you a stomach and intestines to break down the food. He gave... He's saying if you really analyze the gifts Hashem gave us, the blessings He gave us, literally all a person's mitzvot, you could take a whole lifetime of mitzvot. He's saying, it's not my words, what Lavot's saying, you take a person's entire life of mitzvot, it's not even enough to compare or equal one kindness Hashem gave us. One kindness. Tayenu. Huh? What's he saying basically? Take a guy's entire lifetime of mitzvot it, and you put it on one side of the scale. Take the fact that a person has a beating heart or working lungs, put it on the other side. The mitzvot won't, won't even be able to hold it up. So he's saying that's why now he's saying take that concept we just said and now add on top of the fact that a person sins. What he just said where the mitzvot can't outweigh the, the, the gifts, he's saying that's if a guy has no sins. That's even if a guy's perfect. Let's say a guy's perfect. It still can't outweigh one blessing. He's like, now add the fact that there's sins. What a chidush. Unbelievable. The if, the, if Hashem was very meticulous with a person, and, and Hashem was very demanding and being proportionate uh, in terms of the gratitude for the good that He gives, then, then a person's good deeds would be canceled out. It would disappear in a second. All our mitzvot would be gone. If Hashem really wanted to say, okay, you know what? I want to compare the good this guy does with the good that I do for him. Immediately it'll disappear. Even from the smallest kindnesses, right? So, so aside from the fact that every living person owes Hashem more than we can ever repay Him, right? On account of the life we have, the health, the wealth, the thousands of other things that Hashem gives us, the Midrash makes an additional point. Hashem does not require a person to do a mitzvah until Hashem gave him the gift to perform that mitzvah. Amazing. What does that mean? For example... We are commanded to acknowledge and praise Hashem only after Hashem gave us the brain to do it, right? To, to, to do the Brit Milah only after we were given the sun, right? To, to, do, to do Tzitzit only after Hashem gave us clothing. To, to put a mezuzah only after Hashem gave us a house. To give Ma'aser only after Hashem gave us money. Digest this, guys. Digest this. This is unbelievable. He's saying, he's taking it even further. He's saying, guess what? Not only that, Hashem doesn't even make you do the mitzvah before. He doesn't make you do it until after He gives you the gift. Until after He gives you the blessing. You know when you have to do the mitzvah of Pidyon Ben? After He gifts you a son. You know when you have to do Brit Milah? After He gifts you the, 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 the son, the, the, the baby. You know when he makes you do the mitzvot of hatanim kala after he helps you find your soulmate and get married. It's unbelievable. You give charity after you get rich. You 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 say birkata. Okay, now you can say beracha before the food, but guess what? The food's on the table. He doesn't make you say beracha until the food's in front of you. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The the gift comes before the mitzvah. I never even realized this concept, honestly. So, so, so what's he doing? He's flipping it, by the way. He's saying by doing the mitzvah, you're expressing appreciation for receiving the very thing that you're doing the mitzvah for. 
So he's saying the mitzvah is a form of thanks. And that's what Ahavat Hashem, that's what doing mitzvot out of love for Hashem means. It's realizing Hashem, I'm doing this mitzvah because I'm grateful for the gifts you give me. I'm not doing this mitzvah because I'm afraid to be punished. I'm doing this mitzvah because I'm grateful that you even gave me what you gave me that gave me the opportunity to do the mitzvah. Unbelievable. That, that to me is a game changer. That to me is a game changer. So what does he say? Whatever reward we get from Hashem, it's not truly deserved to us as a payment for our deeds. It's actually a kindness from Hashem. So, so we technically should, we owe Hashem for the mitzvot. We should, amazing, amazing. So, so, that's, so that's the other reason why now Olam Haba is not mentioned in the Torah. Because the reward is not even earned. It's a gift from Hashem. It would be illogical for the Torah to describe a reward that's not really earned through mitzvot, but that's given as a favor. Why, why would the Torah talk about Olam Haba if it's not even a reward? The Torah only talks about the mitzvot in terms of practical, black and white, cause, effect, act, reward, don't act, uh, punishment, right? But, 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 it's, but it's all a gift from Hashem. So, so now you might say, okay, but why then the Torah is talking about all the other stuff? Why, well, what about all the other stuff that's technically also gifts, the reward? So you know what you say? Don't look at it like payment. It's not Hashem saying I'm paying you. He's incentivizing you. He's, he's giving you an extra reason to... Uh, to, uh, to, 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 to follow his Torah. It's a gift. It's a gift. Now, now what's interesting is it's the opposite when it comes to sins and punishment. It's the opposite. Regarding punishment in both worlds, right? Meaning this world and the next world for, for, for people who's, for, for sins that we commit. Hashem is very just. He's very truthful. He's very perfect. It's a specific liability that we incur through our conduct. But guess what? Hashem's kindness overrides the deserved justice in both worlds many times. Sometimes, sometimes a person actually doesn't get the punishment in the end. As it says, Hashem's kind. Right? So, so, Hashem repays us for our good deeds as a kindness because the reward's not deserved. And here's the opposite. That even though Hashem should be repaying us for our bad deeds exacting, He does it with kindness. A lot of times, He lets us do Teshubah. He lets it slide. He gives us many chances. Maybe He, he punishes us with something a little less, right? Like a lot of times they say, like, oh, a person loses money in business. Thank Hashem. It wasn't your health. It wasn't your family. It wasn't, uh, God forbid, anything else, right? So, God is forgiving of sins and does not destroy. And this is now the explanation of why punishment of sinners in Allah Ma'ba is not mentioned, even though it might be deserved. Because due to Hashem's mercy, it's not always given. It's not always given. Now, why the punishments by the Bet Din spelled out in the Torah? Because the Bet Din doesn't have the authority to forego punishment, right? The, the, the Bet Din can't take a sinner and say, okay, you're good, never mind, we're going to let you go, even though there were witnesses and you were warned. And no, only Hashem could do that. Hashem knows what's hidden. Only Hashem could, could ultimately decide when to let, it, let someone off the hook. So that's that. That's that. We're almost done. We're going to do two, two, three more. Quick one. The fifth reason, Umehem. Fifth reason why Alam Haba is not mentioned. 
כי המעשה הטוב מתחלק לשני חלקים. Good deeds can be divided into two categories. ממנו נסתד אין מסגיק עליו זולת הבורא. Some good deeds are hidden. Nobody could see it, only Hashem could see it. כחובות הלבבות ואדומה להם, like duties of the heart, like the מצוות of the heart, right? And similar ones that are inconspicuous, whether it's אמונה, that's a מצווה of the heart, right? נכון? Or מצוות that are done in a setting where no one else could see, no one else but Hashem sees it. וממנו נראה עליו הערים מנהנו נסתד מן הבירואים. But there are some that are public, right? that are not concealed from humans, that are, that are visible, that are done with the limbs. And these can be seen by people who are witnessing it, right? Now, now there's a part of it that can't be seen, right? People only can see the, the action, the physical. But if you remember in the last chapters, we said that there's also intent. So Hashem only can see the intent. Hashem sees the first part of it, but the second part of the people would see. Now, now Hashem rewards a good deed that's performed with the visible action of the limbs. <clears throat> with reward that's visible to, to all in this world. <laughs> but a good deed that's private and concealed, the reward's concealed. <laughs> so what's he saying here? He's saying for the mitzvot that are public, for the mitzvot that people can see, Hashem will reward you in this world, in the public. For reward, for, 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 for mitzvot that people can't see, Hashem will reward us in the world that people can't see, which is Olam Abba. That's, that's, that's what he's basically saying here. Um, and this obviously applies to the two parts of the visible mitzvah also, right? So the observable part that we said, which is the action would be this world, but the hidden intent is for the next world. It's like the cherry on top, right? And now, now there might seem like there's a little bit of a contradiction here. I just want to check something. Oh, this is interesting. So let's, let's, let's read this for a second. Commentary on the Gemara. So in Tehillim it says, in Tehillim it says, for great until the heavens is your kindness. And then somewhere else it says, for great above the heavens is your kindness. So the question is this, is it until the heavens or is it above the heavens? Where is Hashem's kindness? Is it until the heavens or above the heavens? Now, kindness, the Gemara says, is it's referring to reward from its vote. And ultimately, the Gemara answers, we're talking about two different situations here. If a person performs mitzvot, l'shem shamayim, l'shma, for the, own, for the sake of fulfilling Hashem's will, then his reward's above the heavens. Beautiful. Very simple. If a person's truly doing the mitzvah, just because Hashem told me to do his mitzvah, I want to do the mitzvah. His reward is above the heavens. But if someone does a shiloh l'shma, not for its own sake, right, personal gain or any other until your motive, then the reward is until the heavens. So until, so now, until the heavens means this world, which is below the heavens. So when the Tehillim says the kindness is until the heavens, below the heavens is when it's for this world, right? Where it's, there's some type of ulterior motive or worldly benefit, right? The, the pure intention, the guy who's doing it for Lishma, for the sake of it, that's also for the intent that's above the heavens. That's that's the 
the next level that he's talking about here. Just a different angle to what we learned. That's why David HaMelech, may rest in peace, referred to this. Um, when he says, How abundant is your goodness that you have hidden away those who fear for you. Basically, Hashem's call, David's calling the reward of, of Allah Mabba, goodness that's hidden away. Because again, it's for the hidden mitzvot, he's hinting. So, so David is saying that those who fear you, meaning fearing Hashem, which is private, it's concealed, right? It's a chavot alavot, it's a duty of the heart. He says that's for, for Allah Mabba. And then he says, the goodness that you have performed for those who seek refuge in you in the presence of men, meaning that are visible to other people, that reward is not hidden away. Rather, you have performed it, meaning it, by the time a person reaches the world to come, it was already granted, it was, it was given in this world. So basically what he's saying is, is that, again, any public visible mitzvot uh, are given here, and uh, any uh, invisible chavot al-lavot, duties of the heart, mitzvot that are concealed, are, are rewarded in olam haba. And he says the same thing when it comes to punishment. Punishment for open sins is this world, and punishment for secret sins is next world. And how does he support it? The proof, he says, that, um, that Hashem promised uh, B'nai Israel for the mitzvot done with the physical, uh, visible acts of the limbs, that will quickly be seen in this world. As he says in Parashat like we said, right, he lists out all the different... Uh, all the different things, right? I think the I think the parashat starts with it says if you'll go in my statutes and you perform them, and then he promises all the types of worldly benefit like the rain and the crops. And similarly, in in in, in when he does the tochacha where he has the the curses, uh, he says for the open. Uh, overt transgressions, the hour transgressions, the punishment will be seen in this world, right? Where it talks about the consequences in this world. But like we said, the hidden mitzvot and transgressions, as well as their reward and punishment, are not discussed in Parashat Bukotai. And it's because, again, the general population is aware of what's visible and they have no knowledge of what's concealed. And since the public has no way of knowing private actions, and private thoughts of a person, the Torah does not promise the public reward or threaten it uh, for those uh, for those types of things. The, the, the blessings and curses of Barashat Bahukatai are directed to the public. There's collective reward or punishment um, when the nation as a whole keeps the Torah, violates it. So the Barashat focuses on matters pertaining to the public, not things that the public cannot know. And the Torah makes it clear elsewhere that the public's responsible for the overt sins of individuals, but not their secret sins, as it says, like it says in the Torah and Devarim, the hidden sins of Hashem our God, but the revealed sins of us and our children forever. So essentially it's saying that whatever is hidden is in the hands of Hashem, Hashem will deal with it. The community bears no responsibility. Hashem will give the punishment. The only responsibility that the community has is for the revealed sins. Um, they're responsible for, for what's open and for what they could see. As it says, um, If the people of the land avert their eyes for that man when he gives from his offspring, not to put him to death. And then I'll concentrate my attention upon that man and upon his family. Basically, if there's people that are seeing other people sin and do idol worship and they ignore it, they turn their head away, they're not, they don't confront it, then then this person who is looking away is also going to be 
uh, is going to be held responsible, right? The responsibility of the community is, is, is there because it's overt, it's open. But again, mitzvot and transgressions are hidden. The judgment of their consequences is going to be in the hands of Hashem, both in this world and in the next world. So he's, he's mentioning um, revealed right, mitzvot and the ones that are hidden. And he highlights, obviously, there are hidden ones, but what he's said, oh, really mostly talking about is the, um, the lev. It's if you have lev tover, right? So it's saying that the mitzvot, because he's saying there's two classifications of mitzvot. 613 that you do with your body, with your limbs. But then there's a whole set of other chavot, chavot halibavot. Those are, those are chavot ha, 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 abalim, meaning limbs. But he's talking about the ones that are hidden, chavot halibavot, the ones that are inside your heart. But he's just, I, that's what I understand. So he's saying, well, lam ba. It's about your heart and Olam Hazeh is about the 613 as well. I love that. You know what's so interesting? It makes complete sense because what is one of the most common and a person who has tastes Olam Haba. They taste the person with perfect. They taste what Olam Haba feels like. So that's so that's basically the fifth reason. Basically, since the public has no knowledge of the good deeds and sins that are done in private, and the reward and punishment for such deeds are in Hashem's hand, the Torah really doesn't should not discuss the reward or punishment in Allah because it's not relevant. It, it, as a nation, what's only relevant in a practical sense is what's public, right? What's in Allah Mazeh. So there's no reason for the Torah to detail how Hashem's gonna reward and punish Allah since that's gonna be done under his own uh, his own jurisdiction. So that was the fifth reason. We're going to end it here. And next time we'll go through the sixth reason why the Torah does not discuss Olam Abba and the seventh reason. So just to summarize what we did so far, we mentioned that there are seven reasons why Olam Abba is not described in the Torah, the reward. The first we said is that the bliss of that world is so beyond the comprehension of most human beings that there's no point, right? We can't understand it. We won't be able to comprehend it. Number two, the existence of Olam Abba was passed down by Abraham Tzad Yaakov and was accepted as truth even before the Torah was given that the Torah didn't even have to mention it. It was already embedded in the people. Number three, the promise of reward in this world was more inspirational to the Jewish people who were not yet spiritually mature enough to understand Olam Abba. Like that was the physical short-term reward and punishment was more inspiring to them and motivating to them. Um, then the fourth was that ultimately we don't earn Olam Haba, right? It's just a gift from Hashem of His kindness. And then the fifth, which we just did, is that because the reward and punishment of Olam Haba is given by mitzvot and sins that are not seen by people and it's not under the jurisdiction, it's only Hashem, there's no reason to try to mention it. And uh, next round we will do the sixth and seventh reason.